From the Nipty Radio Recording Studios, high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of uptown downtown Albany, welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. everyone and welcome to the latest edition of our Nipty Practice Tips. Today we're going to be discussing the calling of a civilian witness at a Wade hearing and presenting evidence of an independent source during the Wade hearing and before the court's initial ruling on the suggestiveness of the police procedures. At many Wade hearings, it is a typical practice to call only law enforcement personnel as witnesses if the procedures used were clearly not so unduly suggestive as to create the substantial likelihood of a misidentification. There are also cases where the people will call civilian witnesses at the suppression hearing to testify about the procedures used to secure the identification, but nothing about the crime itself. This type of a hearing is called the bifurcated hearing. In such a hearing, the evidence presented is limited to the ID procedure. The introduction of independent source evidence only occurs if the court rules the identification procedure were unduly suggestive and suppress the out-of-court identification evidence from its use at trial. This independent source evidence, if sufficient, allows the people to present an in-court identification of the defendant at trial despite the suppression of the out-of-court identification evidence. The primary strategic reason for not initially calling the civilian witness at a Wade hearing or calling that witness but limiting the testimony to what happened at the ID procedure is to prevent the defense from having an opportunity to cross-examine the civilian witness about the crime itself and having Rosario material available to use when cross-examining the witness at trial. At such a bifurcated hearing, it is only when the court finds the identification procedures to be unduly suggestive that the people will then present evidence of this independent source. This means evidence of the witness's previous viewing of the defendant in a situation or situations not improperly influenced by law enforcement procedures. In many cases, the only independent source viewing of the perpetrator by the witness is during the commission of the crime. On occasion, the witness may also have seen the defendant at an additional time under circumstances that were not related to any unduly suggestive law enforcement orchestrated procedure. The people must show that these viewings establish an independent source from any suggestiveness to permit the witness to make an in-court identification of the defendant at trial. It is imperative that when conducting such a bifurcated hearing, you put on the record that you are reserving the right to present evidence of the independent source if needed. Most ADAs will have done this in their motion papers. While this is a pro forma procedure in most cases and often is not even thought of by any of the parties, 
It can happen that the people's failure to preserve this right to present subsequent evidence of this independent source can, in theory, result in the loss of the identification because the court will not permit the independent source here. I want to suggest that there are several reasons why it can be a better practice to call the civilian witness at the Wade hearing to testify not only as to the procedure used by law enforcement personnel in conducting the ID, but also the witness's independent source being before the court and for its consideration before it rules on the initial issue of suggestivity. Let's first take a look at calling the civilian witness at a bifurcated hearing. If you are conducting a bifurcated hearing, that is only litigating the propriety of the ID, calling the civilian witness to testify can serve as an opportunity for your witness to experience testifying in court before the trial takes place. Never overlook how unpleasant an experience testifying can be for almost any witness. But even worse are your witness's fears of testifying that are almost always greater than the reality of testifying. This dry run at a hearing for your witness will often give him or her a much needed confidence boost when he or she returns to testify at trial. And in turn, this confidence that the witness demonstrates when testifying a trial will make them a much more credible witness to the jury. It will also give you the opportunity to correct any inappropriate physical conduct or language used by your witness at the hearing before he or she testifies in front of the jury. However, before you call the witness, be sure to get an assurance from the court that the defense will be limited to only cross-examining as to the procedures and not as to the crime itself. However, the best practice is that when you call a civilian witness for a limited purpose at a suppression hearing, they should be fully prepared to testify as if they were going to be testifying as to all the issues related to the case. It happens. The defense attorney may convince the court during the hearing that this evidence is appropriate to elicit from your witness. You want to be sure they are prepared to deal with any questions related to the case. Of equal, if not greater importance, is your civilian witness may well have a much better memory of the identification procedures than your law enforcement officers especially those very active officers who may not remember all the details of the procedure that the civilian witness does. In light of this, the evidence presented by the witness in conjunction with the evidence of the officer will be more comprehensive and your arguments more persuasive in convincing the court that the procedures were not unduly suggestive. Remember, all identification procedures are suggestive to some degree. But practically speaking, a civilian witness is usually the most reliable person as to what he or she saw and heard during the identification procedure. Remember, the issue of undue suggestiveness is based on what the witness heard or saw and not necessarily what actually took place. Sometimes an officer said or did something during the procedure 
that may be considered suggestive, but if the witness did not see it or was not aware it occurred, it should not impact the court's determination of the propriety of the identification procedure. If the civilian does not testify to affirm their lack of knowledge of this suggestive conduct, this aspect of the potential impropriety not being relevant cannot be argued by the ADA. It would seem these benefits far outweigh any Rosario concerns that you may have in calling this witness. And even more so in the following, let's consider calling the witness to present evidence of the independent source before the court rules on the issue of undue suggestiveness. Now, this is less common, and I'm not suggesting you do it in every case, but I do suggest you consider it for the following reasons. When you evaluate the procedures used by the officers and determine they are close to being unduly suggestive, presenting the independent source evidence at the hearing before the court rules on the undue suggestiveness can be a significant advantage to you for multiple reasons. First of all, you don't want to lose this out-of-court identification evidence from the jury at trial. If you only present evidence of the police procedures used, a bifurcated procedure, and the court finds them to be unduly suggestive, if you subsequently establish there is an independent source to allow the in-court ID to be made, this will not change the fact that the out-of-court ID has been suppressed. The jury will most likely not know how the defendant came to be a suspect and why he or she was arrested nor that he or she was identified by the witness before the trial. All they hear is the testimony about the crime, that the defendant was arrested, and the witness makes an in-court ID. This hole in your factual presentation at trial can create issues for the jury that cannot be explained to them, and which might create a reasonable doubt in their minds due to a lack of evidence. They are left with the impression that the witness is making an identification of the defendant for the first time after the crime at trial. This will appear to them to be a suggestive procedure, the defendant sitting at a table with the attorney, without the defense needing to say anything about this missing identification. For these reasons, it appears every effort should be made to preserve the evidence of the out-of-court identification. Secondly, suppose the hearing court rules in your favor at the bifurcate. On appeal, if the appellate court finds the procedure was unduly suggestive, there is no record of an independent source to justify the witness's in-court identification of the defendant at the trial. As a result of this, the case must be reversed. The case will be remanded for an independent source hearing, and if the court finds there was an independent source, you will try the case again. The appellate court is not permitted to make its own determination that the trial testimony established an independent source. While this used to be the law, in 1984, in the case of People v. Dot, the Court of Appeals did away with this. In other words, the only way to have an independent source finding is to have it done by the hearing slash trial court. Also take a look at a more recent Court of Appeals decision addressing these issues, People v. Wilson, a case from 2005. Now, if you present 
the independent source evidence at the hearing before the suppression ruling. The hearing court will be able to take that evidence into consideration in ruling on the issue of whether there was undue suggestiveness. The stronger, more significant the independent source evidence is, the length of time viewing the defendant, the lighting conditions, and so forth, the less likely the procedure would be unduly suggestive. The determination of whether there is undue suggestiveness must take into account the amount of independent source information the witness has, both from the viewing of the perpetrator during the crime and at any other time. Now, the hearing court is aware that if it rules in your favor on this close issue and the appellate court disagrees, the existence of the independent source finding will allow the appellate court to still affirm the conviction. The hearing court is less likely to lean your way knowing that there's no independent source finding to uphold its ruling. The court should make its ruling in the alternative. That is, when you present evidence of the independent source at the suppression hearing, the court should first rule the procedures were not unduly suggestive and permit the in-court ID. But secondly, it should give an alternative ruling that there is sufficient evidence of an independent source that properly serves as the basis for permitting the in-court ID, even if the procedure was unduly suggestive. If the appellate division finds it was error not to have suppressed the out-of-court ID because you presented independent source evidence at the hearing, the appellate division can find this error was harmless based on the rest of the evidence presented at trial. Take a look at the case of People v. Owens, a 1989 Court of Appeals decision where the court had suppressed some but not all of the evidence, but the people presented independent source evidence despite the fact that the court had ruled in its favor on the procedures. On the appeal, the courts found that there was in fact error in the identification procedure the court permitted. But since there was an independent source ruling made in those suggestive witnesses' procedures, the court upheld the conviction. You should also consider the quote from People v. Burtz back in 1991, where the court wrote that the risk for completely renewed proceedings from a failure to present evidence of an independent source. The people are generally well advised to come forward with any independent source evidence at a Wade hearing so that the suppression court may, where appropriate, rule in the alternative. While the testimony of the civilian at Wade hearing is not required in every case or even suggested that it should be, you should consider whether it is appropriate to call in a particular case that you are going to conduct, whether it's only to testify to the identification procedures or to present evidence of the witness's independent source before the court rules on the suppression issues. Please be sure to see the material in the prosecutor's encyclopedia addressing these issues with a tremendous amount of case citation and additional arguments for you to use in addressing these important identification issues. And thanks always to our crack producer 
Jonathan Marconi Crispino, and to the entire crew at NIPTI for their help in putting together this latest production. To all of you out there, please be well and stay ready, my friends. 